Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Today we're continuing our series, Great Men and Women of Faith with Moses, and a message entitled, Getting There by Going in Circles. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Early on in geometry, we learned that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Sometimes, however, in God's handling of our lives, it seems that he must think that the shortest distance between two points is not a straight line at all because at times he leads us in circles and we're not sure we're going anywhere at all. You see, God has caused us to believe that he has a certain destiny for us. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And Romans 8, 17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. We have an incredible list of promises, starting out by telling us that we were chosen before creation, that we were created to rule all the works of God's hands, and that we inherit all things along with Christ. God has caused us to believe that he has a certain destiny for us. But sometimes we don't seem to be moving in a straight line at all. I want you to imagine a man who got into a business because he wants his business to glorify God. He wants an opportunity for evangelism. He wants his business to be a conduit for giving, giving generously out of the wealth that God has given him. And so he makes a commitment to God. Lord, I dedicate my business to you. But then along the way, he finds he's struggling to pay the bills and he's desperate not to go into unmanageable debt. Then a downturn in the economy. And then he finds he needs to know something about accounting and about a hiring of staff and about calculating employee benefits and how to delegate work and how to estimate a job. There is so much to learn. And even though he has a steep learning curve, he's, he's now swamped with work. And somewhere down the line, it seems that all his energy went into just surviving and so little energy seemed to be available for that grand sense of mission that he was beginning his business to glorify God. And then he prays, Lord, I just wanted my business to glorify you, but my sense of mission has been going around in circles. And I wonder if I'm losing my sense of purpose. Why are you leading me along this pathway? See, today I want us to learn just one lesson of faith from the life of Moses, the one that we find in Exodus 13, verses 17 to 22. Let me read it. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etam, at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Today, in our series of great men and women of the Bible, I want us to look at Moses. Moses, the great leader. Moses, the great prophet of God, the man who walked on the sacred mountain and saw God face to face, whom God spoke to as with a friend. Moses, the great lawgiver, the great military general, and yet also 
Moses, who led the people of Israel in circles for 40 years, wandering in an unbearably hot desert while they ate the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and supper every day, while he promised them a land of milk and honey until a whole generation died in the desert, and indeed, Moses died there as well. (laughs) Is that leadership? Did God intend it that way? Does God deliberately lead us in circles even after he's made such great promises to us? I want you to picture what's happened here. Israel has just witnessed something profound, so profound that we who now live 3,500 years later have come to recognize that this was one of the most important revelations of God ever done in human history. Indeed, the only thing more important was the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's review. After his lengthy exile, Moses comes back to Egypt as God's prophet, armed with nothing more than the power of God. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then through a series of ten powerful plagues from God, Egypt lay in ruins, and every firstborn among them was dead. And in the midst of all of this, this large group of Jewish slaves was told that they had a destiny. And later on in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, God would tell them, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. How could they doubt that? God had humbled the most powerful nation on earth and had shown his favor. But now comes this curious twist. It's an ominous sign of what lies ahead. Exodus 13, 17 says, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines. The road through the Philistine country was a well-established roadway that traveled from Egypt right underneath the Mediterranean Sea straight into the Promised Land. It was but a short distance to their destination. It probably could be covered in about two weeks to a month. I mean, just think about it. Free from Egypt and just a month later, they would have been in the land of milk and honey and eating grapes and living in large houses and simply enjoying themselves. I mean, this guy Moses is a great leader. But the way through the land of the Philistines came with a great many dangers as well. And along that roadway were a series of Egyptian fortresses protecting the highway. In fact, this highway was the preeminent Egyptian route to Palestine. And to go along that way would mean that they would have to fight their way all the way to Philistia and then take on the Philistines in order to get to their destination. And God says, if they see what's ahead of them there, they're going to soon change their minds and they're going to head back to Egypt. Now, instead of going straight to the west, out of Egypt, God commanded Moses to take the Israelites southeast to the Red Sea. Let me try to illustrate what that meant. The Hebrew term here translated as Red Sea is Yam Suf, and some have translated that as Sea of Reeds. Now, we don't know the exact place of the crossing. It may have been in in what we now call the Red Sea, and that seems likely. But Dr. Barry Beitzel, who teaches at Trinity in Chicago, has given an alternative explanation to what happened. He says that archaeologists have discovered a vestige of an ancient canal very close to the present-day Suez Canal. It was an ancient canal that had been dug by the Egyptians that went from the Mediterranean Sea through a series of reed-bottom lakes and finally joined south to the Nile River. It was some 230 feet across at several places, and it joined with at least two large ancient lakes. This canal was not used for commerce, at least as far as we can tell, but it was used entirely for defense. In other words, if you wanted to invade Egypt from the Middle East, you would have to take the road to Philistia at the north, 
or you'd have to find a way to cross this canal, which would have been an impenetrable defense. Now imagine what happened here. It's much greater than anything that's ever been depicted in Sunday school material. Moses is moving two million people, all of whom have never marched before down a corridor of land that's about five miles across, and they're completely hemmed in by the mountains on the one side and by the water on the other. No doubt they're now up to an expanse of water that seems unbelievably vast. And what was intended to keep invaders from the north out of Egypt was now keeping these slaves in Egypt. They were to the south in this impenetrable barrier. They're stuck. And Pharaoh's watching, and he came to a conclusion that Moses doesn't know what he's doing. It turns out Moses is a horrible leader. Now, I said that God deliberately took them there. And Pharaoh called his advisors, and they said, these guys are going in circles and don't have a holy destiny. They're just a ragtag group of slaves, and they don't know what they're doing at all. And as you and I know, God had three things in mind. First of all, he would humble the Egyptians by drowning them in the Red Sea. And secondly, he would show Israel his glory and his love for them. And thirdly, he would take them into the wilderness, and they would have to learn how to worship there and how to keep the law of God. And as we will see, it was God's intention to take them on a roundabout. And this is my point. In a very real way, that's what he does with us. But why? See, God often takes us through detours and backtracking, circles, and things we don't understand because he knows that we would never make it to the promises of God if he took us in a straight line. He knows that we still have idols that we need to deal with, that there are battles that we are unprepared for, and that there is a need for us to learn who our God actually is. And even though we may find that the lessons that we must learn to be painful and frustrating and unwanted, God knows that the straightest distance to our destination of ruling and reigning with Christ is anything but a straight line. Back to the Bible Canada's Israel experience has become a staple of ministry over the last number of years. Friends from across Canada gathered together to join Dr. Newfeld, Phil Calloway, and special musical guests for an incredible journey through the Holy Land. One friend after joining us in Israel shared, again, thank you for this wonderful trip. Like you said, the Bible has really taken on new life for us. This has been the experience of so many. Experience Israel for yourself under the teaching of Dr. Neufeld. Worship in the places where Jesus lived, walked, and taught, and you'll never read the Bible the same way again. Join all of us, Dr. Neufeld, Phil Calloway, and the entire team in 2021 for Back to the Bible Canada's Israel Experience. For more information, visit backtothebibletours.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. God knows that we would never make it to our destination were he to take us in a straight line. We often take a long time to understand this. But if God gave us what is our destiny today, we would not be able to handle it. Have you ever heard about what happens to lottery winners? 
They can't handle their cash. I mean, one moment they're struggling to get by, and the next moment they're they're a multimillionaire. They immediately quit their job. They buy a new house, new car. They get requests for money from friends and relatives. And in about five years, their financial status is like what it was before. They were unprepared for riches, and so they squander it away. Israel was not prepared for the promised land. And sometimes, dare I say this, we are unprepared for all the blessings that God has determined to give us. And so God does not take us in a straight line. What is it that God knew about Israel? And what is it that he knows about us? Let me suggest five things. First, God knows that we must lose our slave mentality. Moses had found a band of slaves and God had called Moses to be their leader. Let me give you an insight into Israel's character. Exodus 14, 10 and 11 tells of their first brush with conflict, and this happened on the shores of the Red Sea. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? This would not be the last time they doubted the power of God. See, every time they felt pressure, they played the victim and complained against Moses. You see, when you're a slave, your future is not in your own hands. And one of the things that happens is the feeling of helplessness. You become the perpetual victim, incapable of receiving blessings. You know, we live in a day when we have made the art of whining and playing the victim into a national sport. Think, for instance, of all the frivolous lawsuits in our country and in the U.S. Let me give you some examples. I know of a man who sued a bicycle manufacturer after he had an accident on his bicycle while he was going downhill. He said the bicycle manufacturer had failed to warn him that the bicycle would pick up speed going downhill. Here's another example. A father sued his son's hockey league for not giving his son the Player of the Year award. The father said that his son had had his heart set on it, and failure to win it had damaged his son's sense of self-worth. Or consider this. A West Virginia convenience store worker was awarded a whopping $2 million in punitive damages after she injured her back opening a pickle jar. And this was according to the Charleston Daily Mail. Or listen to this, a woman whose name I'm not going to mention unless she hears this and sues me, she filed a $50 million lawsuit against Robert's Foods, the maker of a snack food. The woman claimed that she had become fat from eating this junk food and was claiming emotional distress and mental anguish because of the weight that she had gained by being hooked on this junk food. You know, I have a record of one man suing a casino for letting him gamble while he was drunk. And so on it goes. We have become a nation of victims and whiners. We blame everyone for who we are. Our parents are to blame, our school teachers, our bosses, our society and our politicians, anything and anyone but us. It's called the mentality of a slave. Slaves can't control anything, and so they become bitter and spend their lifetime angry. But mature believers don't complain, they pray. Mature believers don't panic, they trust, and they roll up their sleeves and they go to work expecting God to work on their behalf. God knows that we must lose our slave mentality. Second, God knows we're not prepared for battle. That's what God said in verse 17 of our text. In fact, if Israel had taken the role to the Philistines, they would have had one battle after another all the way. You know, from one perspective, that shouldn't have been hard. 
especially after they saw what God had done to Egypt. But as a matter of fact, they were not prepared for battle. The New Testament also carries with it the idea of warfare. But it's a warfare of a different kind. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How many of you know that the Christian life is warfare? It's warfare against a host of demonic forces arrayed against us. Whenever you enter into ministry, into evangelism, into making an impact for Christ, you can expect a response. There will be criticism. There will be slander. People who know little telling others how incompetent you are. See, God takes us on a roundabout course because he knows that we still have a slave mentality and that we're not prepared for battle. And third, God knows that we must learn to grow and mature. It was God's intention to take Israel not directly to the promised land, but down the Sinai Peninsula into the wilderness to camp out for two years before the mountain of God and come to know the glory and holiness of God. God does that with his people. Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the desert before he started preaching. Paul spent 11 years in the desert. There is a time to study. There's a time to pray. I see this in young people all the time. I want ministry and significance now. Listen, you might not be able to handle that now. Fourth, God knows that we must learn hard lessons of obedience. It was in the desert that Israel needed to know that God was not to be trifled with. Israel had to learn that the Ten Commandments were not the Ten Suggestions. When God said, keep the Sabbath and don't commit adultery and don't steal and honor your father and mother, he meant all of that. That's why there was such tragedy in the desert. It was there that they found that God loves to forgive, but that he destroys unrepentant sinners. That's why they had to learn about the temple and about sacrifice and knowing that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We need to know that too. God knows we must lose our slave mentality, that we're not prepared for battle. And so he sends minor battles along the way to strengthen us. And he knows we need time to grow and mature and that we need to learn the hard lessons of obedience and the sadness of our own disobedience. And fifth, God knows that we must learn to walk in faith. Perhaps the most tragic story in the entire life of Moses is what happened in Kadesh Barnea. Two years after having left Egypt, Israel had been at Mount Sinai, and now they stood poised to take all their inheritance. It should have ended so well. Moses sent out 12 spies, and they came back, and, and wow, they said, the land is wonderful. But they said, we are not able to take it, and then everything went badly. Numbers 13 tells a horrible story of rebellion. In spite of remembering God's great miracles, Israel was terrified by the power of the people of Canaan. And truth be known, much of that is so relevant for so many of us. All we can ever do is imagine everything that could possibly go wrong, and so we're frozen in unbelief. So many lives are filled with unbelief. God knows that we must lose our slave mentality. We must be ready for spiritual warfare. We must learn, we must grow, and we must mature. We must learn the hard lessons of obedience, and we must walk in faith. The place you learn that is in the wilderness. You learn that in the dry seasons of your life, when nothing else seems to make sense. It is there that you will make the decision to follow him 
or to give up. It's there that you can be strengthened. But here are the two important promises to all of those who feel like they're going around in circles. The first promise comes from Exodus 13, verse 19. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. See, what a wonderful thing it was to carry Joseph's bones from the land of Egypt. Joseph had believed that God would honor his promise and would take the people of Israel into their inheritance. Joseph's bones were a reminder to Israel that God keeps his promises. The cross of Jesus is just such a reminder for you and I. You might feel that you're in the wilderness, but the cross reminds you that God is determined to safely bring you into his kingdom. God will constantly remind us of his good intentions to us. And secondly, God will always give us a sense of his presence. For Israel, this was seen in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. For us, even though we don't have that kind of tangible proof, what do you think the cross actually is? Is it not the tangible proof for all believers in Christ that God is for us and will safely deliver us into the promised land? John, as you were speaking, I was thinking of that. The grass is always greener on the other side. And I was thinking, you know, how great would it be to have a pillar of cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night? But the Israelites kept on going in circles. And we always think things are better for them. Why can't we have that today? But we do in many respects. What is that for us? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the completed Bible with so many earlier prophecies fulfilled and recognizing the truth of what God has done, uh, the, the empty grave of Jesus. I mean, all of that, I mean, my goodness. I mean, we have so much more than what Israel had. But I know that many of us are always saying, can we have something tangible? But you know, the answer is Israel had that tangible thing and it never got them there. What we need to concentrate on is the future promises of God. The sooner we can get our heads around the fact that God can be trusted, about our future events, the better we're off. And I think that we'll shorten the time that we're wandering around in circles. I mean, you know, the the lesson from Israel is the whole generation did not believe the promises of God. That's why they, they died in the wilderness. They didn't embrace what God was teaching them, and they didn't move on to the next level. So I think there is a slave mentality in many of us where we start to whine, we start to complain, we start to do everything else rather than simply to seize on the promises of God and just go forward. Thanks so much, John. A great message today. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. We're so grateful for all of our listeners right across this beautiful country. And if you'd like to become a part of the team of Back to the Bible Canada, well, this month we'd like to invite you to become a monthly partner or also to participate in our special match campaign this month. So for every dollar you give towards the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again or In Doubt, another dollar will be given up to $50,000, expanding our opportunity to minister God's Word across Canada and beyond. If you've been listening and perhaps you've never taken the opportunity to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada before, you know what? This just might be the perfect time. 
Join us in our $50,000 match campaign in October or become a monthly partner. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca.